I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Uh, Today, we'd like to welcome to the podcast, Taylor Worthington. Taylor is a small business development officer for Wells Fargo in Northern Colorado, focusing on healthcare and commercial real estate. Working together with external prospective business owners, he brings a great deal of knowledge and the vast array of products and services Wells Fargo offers to the table. In his spare time, Taylor is a competitive drone racer. I did not know that was yeah. a thing. <laughs> Okay, well, I, you're going to have to tell me about that when I'm done here. And he participates in local races where the ongoing mantra is build, fly, crash, repeat. Yeah. That's awesome. He believes the growth process in business is the same. That is very true. So he helps businesses by, business owners by observing what they've built, finding out where the crashes come from, and digging into the finances to unravel issues and propose changes. Taylor has a six-month-old Harper. Mm-hmm. Oh man, she's precious. I'm pretty. I'm is pretty she, lucky. Is she crawling it? Oh yeah, she's crawling and <laughs> wanting to pull herself up and That's babbling awesome. away. It's crazy. Uh, and he lives in Firestone. So guys, Firestone is north of the Denver metro area. About halfway between Fort Collins and Denver. Yep. Awesome. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So, what was your first job? Oh gosh. Um, well, my first paycheck was a little bit different than my first job. So my first job, I actually was 13. I was working at my dad's construction site. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a house painter. I was driving the lift and, and helping him paint. I was on his crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my it's first am- paid job. It's really amazing how many people actually answer that. Really? Like working for their parents that were entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing how many entrepreneurs I get in this seat whose parents were entrepreneurs. Yeah. He uh, he owned his company for 26 years. Mm-hmm. Um, he passed it down to me and it was in Lawrence, Kansas where I was raised and I just didn't want to be there anymore. So I said, sorry, dad, I'd love your legacy, but I've got to do my own thing. So that's awesome. Um, but my first paid job was I was a, a cart corraller at Hy-Vee, which is a Midwest um Division actually, it's not a division of Kroger. It's a similar to Kroger. So I don't think I've ever been to a Hy-Vee. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. So your original major was aerospace engineering. Mm-hmm. What happened there? Oh goodness, that's a story in of itself. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> give us the cliff notes. Okay, the cliff notes. So I, I graduated high school, and I had an amazing counselor mm-hmm. who was actually dating a engineer at an engineering firm in Kansas mm-hmm. City, and she said, hey, you should go do an internship for him, and then when school enrollment comes, see mm-hmm. if that's something you want to do. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure. I did my, actually, it started in my senior year. I did about a year internship, and then I said, cool, I could probably do this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I was 18. I didn't know better. Um, I went to Chicago, studied mm-hmm. aerospace and mechanical engineering for two and a half years, and then guess what? The recession happened. And engineers from my school had like a 35% higher rate. They were accepting salaries, half of what they should have been. And I said, I can't do this. So about two and a half years in, I, I decided to change my major, um, moved back home to Kansas City, met my wife. We moved out back out to Colorado, or not back, moved out to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, business is what I want to do. I'm entrepreneurial mm-hmm. in general. I grew up selling rocks on the side of the street. <laughs> you know, painted rocks and stuff. So why not? Um, So I got a business degree and um, kind of fell into banking. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was in property management before this Mm -hmm. and it just kind of happened. I met my mentor who's been amazing for the last Mm -hmm. five years and 
he drew me into banking. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so also fun fact, I started in chemical engineering. Oh, cool. I think I've said, I've said, told the story on the podcast before, but I loved my chemical engineering or my chemistry classes in high school. And the gal who taught it was a chemical engineer. So she came out of industry into teaching. Oh, interesting. Um, and she talked like really highly of industry um, and um, in the chemistry field. Um, and chemical engineering. So I was like, I'm going to be a chemical engineer. That lasted half a year. Yeah. Um, I did real bad in chemistry. And then I looked around also and I was like, these are the people that I'm going to be with for right. the next four years. Like, these don't feel like my people. Right. So I hopped around a lot yeah. until I found accounting. Um, it was actually my fourth year I found accounting. So I did all my upper levels um, in a year and a half. Which wow. is crazy. That it was is crazy. a crazy talk, but I was like, I have to graduate in five. Yeah. <laughs> My parents might disown me if I go past five. See, I was always a social butterfly in college. Uh -huh. I was in a fraternity, which was not the norm, and mm -hmm. I just, I wasn't your typical engineer. Yeah. Um, I could maybe see myself doing engineering sales one day, yeah. but not so much the actual sitting behind a desk and doing engineering. So. I'm married to, to a mechanical engineer, so. So you get And it. My, my brother's also a mechanical engineer, so I get it. So you kind of talked about the real estate management. Um, how did that background help um, in terms of your current focus? You know, um, <clears throat> that's an interesting question because real estate is just a portion of what I do, mm -hmm. but I think it actually taught me an appreciation for really working with somebody's livelihood mm -hmm. um, because when you're working with somebody who all they need to do is find a place to live tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Let's say they're in a certain situation or maybe they just can't make rent that month, really working with them and really trying to figure out how can you help. It really just gave me an appreciation for affecting somebody's life in such a way mm -hmm. that you're making decisions that, that could put them on the street tomorrow. You know, isn't that crazy? It is. And so I that can never do that. You know, I've always kind of fell into these industries. I yeah. was in restaurants. I had to feed people. We I was were all work. I was, yeah, I did seven years, whatever. And if you haven't, you need to go do it for six months. It's a newfound it's, appreciation. If you haven't served before, go serve for a year, and you will have a complete appreciation of what other people do in the industry. It's the amazing. The amount of multitasking mm -hmm. it requires. My wife's a restaurant manager. She's a 10-year veteran in the industry now. I Jeez. thought I wanted to manage restaurants. I thought, yeah, yeah I figured it out real fast that yeah. I didn't. Yeah. No. So I did my seven years and I got out. <laughs> I know. I say it like I'm in jail. Like I did seven, seven years and I'm out. <laughs> there's a seven year requirement. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how many years I did. A lot. A lot of years. But so I, I you know, I was in food service. So I was messing with people's food. Mm -hmm. And then, well, not messing. But anyway, I was with, in people's food. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was in housing. Mm -hmm. And so I was messing with people's houses. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in banking. I'm messing with people's finances. So... <laughs> It's kind of those industries that are very, uh, very influential. They can be. So that's really interesting. So tell us a bit about what a small business development officer does, um, especially at a large bank um, like Wells Fargo. So you had explained to me like the different divisions. Mm -hmm. So tell me what that means, because that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to anybody who's never worked with a development officer. Well, and it's funny because you know business development officer is one of those titles that is kind of tossed in different industries. You mm -hmm. see it. I, I mean, I saw a business development officer in a nursing home the other day. And I was like, so I actually met at LinkedIn Messenger and I was like, what does business development mean for you? Like, what do you do? Because I'm a, I'm a BDO, I'm a business development mm -hmm. officer. You're a BDO. Like, how do our jobs mesh? Mm -hmm. And she had a really interesting an answer and, and I'll share that later if you want. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Business development. So going back to the original question, mm -hmm. sorry. Of, no, you're um, fine. <laughs> it was just an interesting. I like, like tangents. <laughs> I do too. I, I'm very tangential. Unfortunately, my wife gets crazy with me. But uh, um, so 
business development for Wells Fargo, what did it consists of is we have a couple different divisions that do business banking in, in the area. Mm-hmm. We have retail business banking, which is when you're driving down the street, you see a Wells Fargo branch. Mm-hmm. You walk in, they probably have a retail business banker. Uh, we have a centralized business banking group, which is headquartered in Arizona. Mm-hmm. That's actually the group I work for. Mm-hmm. And then we have local commercial banking offices. Um, there's okay. certain types of businesses and cer- certain revenue, uh, revenue limits that mm-hmm. these uh, different banking offices take. Mm-hmm. My group focuses primarily on the two to five million, mm-hmm. so that not quite middle market banking, but a little bit bigger than what retail banking can take care mm-hmm. of. Um, and it's my job to go out and talk to people and say, what, mm-hmm. how can I help? What can I do to, to make your banking relationship easier? That's awesome. So what are, actually I have a question off of, off of that, and yeah. then we'll move on to these other ones. Um, what are some of the unique um, issues you see with those two to five million dollar businesses? You know, there's a couple issues. Mm-hmm. Um, one, you, you get two really types of businesses. You get those businesses that have been established for 27 years that are looking into a new situation that mm-hmm. is going to grow their potential and mm-hmm. they just don't know how to proceed. Mm-hmm. And then you have those businesses that started two years ago and have quadrupled their, their, their sales here every year. Mm-hmm. And it's just, so you have very different approaches with those types of businesses of mm-hmm. how you're helping one through you know expansion and growth and mm-hmm. then helping one with more maturity and transition. So it's really looking at the life cycles of business. Um, we focus on really working through those of mm-hmm. what is your future plan. So I'm very much... Um, Kind of like you, I, I like to focus on growth strategy and transition. Yeah, of, what's your long, what's your long term goal? Yeah, here? I'm not going to be your your banker that walks in and says, "Hey, here's your problem, fix it, bye bye." Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, "Hey, here's your problem, and what's here's 15 other problems we might come across in the next five years. Mm-hmm. What do you want to get to, and how can we get you there?" I love it. I love it. I love it. Obviously, this is my favorite thing. Um, you guys also work with startups, though potential yes. mid market startups. Yes, correct. Um, so we have again going going to those. Uh, different types of industries that we serve mm-hmm. and different revenue streams that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, healthcare is a specialized team that we actually have. And mm-hmm. um, I'll expound on that mm-hmm. if a question yep, comes up I on it. Questions. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we do, we are the number one SBA lender in the country mm-hmm. in terms of number of loans given and the volume of loans given mm-hmm. year over year. Um, we really, really focus on startups because we think it's an amazing way to help our business community. Um, so somebody could walk in and say, hey, I want to go start a um, a convenience store. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a bad example. <laughs> Somebody could s- come in and say, hey, I want to start an accounting firm. Mm-hmm. And we would say, okay, what do you need? What's the business capital? How can we make it happen for you? That's awesome. So what are the some of the trends you're seeing for lending in the healthcare space? So the healthcare industry is interesting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of is a good segue into our team that we call Practice Finance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a medical only team that focuses on just four types of doctors Mm -hmm. and that's all they do so it's a specialized division within wells fargo Mm -hmm. they only help dentists veterinarians optometrists and medical doctors so mds and do's yeah um other than that it goes into one of our other groups so that practice finance division will take a brand new college graduate Mm -hmm. and finance them 100 percent so crazy. It's it is. It's blue sky lending is what we call it because mm-hmm. there's really no collateral. The collateral is that piece of paper they hang on the wall in their new office, their mm-hmm. degree that they've worked so hard to get. Mm-hmm. And that's what we lend on. And their potential. And their potential. 
we we know we obviously have done a lot of these we want mm -hmm. we know that if you're a dentist for example and you mm -hmm. open up and you have four operatories and a couple hygienists maybe you're going to make about a million because we think about 250 per op is what mm -hmm. we think so we have some some ways to do some calculations on the backside mm -hmm. to really know how we can lend on those um so some of the interesting things that we've seen in the in the industries lately mm -hmm. is that um, a lot of people are just expanding. I mean, in general, we're kind of, it's an interesting time in the economy right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's to say the least. We could right. go on a whole entire Forever. topic on the state of the economy today. But in general, looking at how people are growing their business right mm -hmm. now, a lot of people are saying, hmm, okay, we had the recession. We've started to transition. Mm -hmm. We're almost hesitant that another draw, uh, drawback or a, a little bit of drop in the economy is going to happen, mm -hmm. but the economic indicators aren't there. And so a lot of people with the rate environment coming back down are saying, okay, now it's a good time to expand, to buy buildings, to mm -hmm. you know do a lease, re or a lease replacement and actually build our own space or ask the owner if they want to sell. Mm -hmm. So we've been seeing some really interesting transitions in the lending market lately, and mm -hmm. I think it just kind of follows the general economy right now. That's really, uh, that's really interesting. So you're seeing expansion but it's expansion versus long-range stability mm -hmm. and sustainability. Yeah, I think that um, if you look at the overall state of the market, mm -hmm. you see a lot more businesses spreading roots as opposed to trying like they're they're wanting to go more ingrained in their communities and mm -hmm. really get back to that community feel mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to grow so fast that they just can't handle it. Instead of vertical they're going. Exactly. I love that and I think that um you know, the state of the the mindset of business owners is different than it was 20 years ago. Definitely. You know, they're they're building the foundation of something um, that's going to give them something, right? That's not just a thriving business that, you know, makes them work 80 hours in a week, right? Absolutely. When you look at any <laughs> typical business, mm -hmm. if it's a, a sole proprietorship or even a partnership with a couple mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. that's their livelihood. Mm -hmm. And they're working really, really hard right now to mm -hmm. make sure that they can grow that. That's awesome. I love it. And that's... My favorite thing, right? It makes, I don't know if I just lit up, but I just, I love that. Yeah. It's so real. It's just so fun to watch people grow into building businesses that give them their, the lifestyle they want. Because you know, that's how we get that in America. You well, don't work for a corporation. And wanna, well, I do work for you a corporation. You can. Yeah, you can. But <laughs> it's harder to do that, right? It is. Yeah. No, I could have very easily found an entrepreneur job and gone out and done something on my own. And you might. Someday. And I might. And I and I probably will. <laughs> this is my first career. We can see that. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting to, uh, to, to really see... Mm -hmm. When you have that livelihood that people are trying to to grow, mm -hmm. it's it's amazing. Um, going back to, I think a couple of your people have alluded to this, but I, I'm a really big TED Talk listener, and mm -hmm. I really like uh, Simon Sinek, mm -hmm. um, his uh, power of why. Mm -hmm. So really asking people, what is your why? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing what you're doing, and how do you grow this? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I focus on every day. It's really hard to get people into their why a yeah. lot of the time. Um, we're so used to staying in the what mm -hmm. and the how. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time it's just asking the why questions mm -hmm. too. I just actually added to our intake, um, you know, what what are your it's always said, you know, what are your financial pain points, you know, and how can we help you? But I added one that says, and why is that important right mm -hmm. now? Yeah. Right, because something kicked off the purpose, yeah. and it's generally not just a tax return. It can be, mm -hmm. but a lot of the time it's like we can't sleep at night or I haven't taken a vacation and things are a mess and, you know, whatever. So asking the why questions on top of what is your why, which can change, and most people really don't haven't done that work, but yeah. 
asking deeper questions about why what they need is what they need now. You know, it's fundamental in our industry as well because mm -hmm. you could come into a bank and they could say, what do you need and send you on your way. <laughs> but they actually call it in our, in our group Peeling the Onion mm -hmm. where we can really peel back the layers of what are you looking for? Mm -hmm. How is it going to affect your business? And why do you even care about that? Yeah, why does that matter? Yeah. Why does it matter right yep. now? Why? Um, so talk a little bit about what makes a startup practice lendable. You did say, you know, most doctors, it's like, here's your 100% finance, financing. But talk, talk a little bit about startups and um, what helps make them lendable. Yeah. Uh, you know, so practice finance in general is they just become comfortable over the years with really lending to those specific types of industries. It's a because low risk. It's a low risk industry, absolutely. They can mm -hmm. look at historical figures, they can look at figures that we've lended to mm -hmm. and that other institutions have lended to mm -hmm. and really know, okay, what's our rate of return? Mm -hmm. um, what is our closure ratio? Mm -hmm. You know, We're taking a calculated risk at that point. Everything in finance is a calculated risk. Um, and at that point they're saying, okay, we're comfortable with mm -hmm. this doctor or this dentist mm -hmm. really moving forward in their practice. And of course we do, we do a sort of interview with the doctor themselves. We want to get comfortable with them to make mm -hmm. sure that they're not going to come out of school and just completely tank their business. Like we want them to have some sort of business acumen. Mm -hmm. We actually have an entire group within practice finance that all they do is practice management. Um, so they'll go as far as setting up the practice for them mm. where they will say, okay, you need six operatories. You need a, you need a front desk. You need a waiting area. Mm -hmm. You need a break room. You mm -hmm. need all of this equipment room for if you're doing a Cerec mm -hmm. machine or something, here's how we think you should lay it out. Mm -hmm. We'll even go into demographics. They'll actually say, okay, you just got out of college. You want to start a dental practice or a veterinary practice, where do you want to go? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, here's the zip code. Okay, well, the demographics in that area, you've got you know X number of pet owners mm -hmm. or X number of children if you're a pediatric mm -hmm. dentist. And their nearest dentist clinic is 15 minutes away. Mm -hmm. You could open right here and capture that market. So that practice management group is really comfortable with directing the doctors on how it's going to make them the most profitable. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So we really work with them to make sure that we're investing in them mm -hmm. so we get the investment back on our side. That's really great. We actually have a startup um, vet clinic. Hopefully they've hopefully they're in construction mode yet now. Like I just talked to her a couple weeks ago, but. Um, and they actually are putting their clinic somewhere with where there is no clinics, mm -hmm. which is amazing in the Denver metro area. Yeah. And then we found out it's because of zoning. Oh, interesting. So you had to go back and get it yeah. rezoned. Well, yeah. So they, well, it wasn't because of the of rezoning, but they had to find a place within that, oh. and within that area, yeah. within that market and the demographics to put a, vet, a veterinary space. Um, but yeah, so that's why there isn't, is because the zoning for most of the spaces. Yeah, I think there. about I think one of your previous uh, previous guests on the podcast mm -hmm. was talking about how, you know, zoning and, and just landlord rights and everything that's so interesting of, yeah. of how they'll prevent or they'll allow mm -hmm. a certain type of uh, business to come into that. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was Steven Strucker probably. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll link that one down in the description box. So um, let's see. I think you just answered that question. <laughs> Wells Fargo, okay, so I have to ask you this and we can cut it out if you want, but Wells Fargo has a bit of a past PR problem. Um, I always, it's so funny because large corporations tend to have bad, you know, PR, like have PR problems, right? Like I work with Intuit, I'm on their tax council, they have PR problems, right, outwardly. Yeah. But it's also like one of like the top 10 places to work. So 
as an employee of Wells Fargo, if you could just talk about the culture and what um, what you love about being with the Wells Fargo, because it just kind of gives us that in-person, you know. <laughs> There's our next guest. <laughs> for watching. <laughs> okay, I'll re that one. Yeah, no problem. Um, and that's totally a fine question, by the is way. Is it? Okay, yeah. cool. No, I per was prepared for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the things the corporate communications team was like, she's probably going to ask this. Well, Make sure I have you have an to. answer. So I have you to have ask to. this because yeah. rarely do we get um, people from large corporations in my chair. So, yeah. so uh, Wells Fargo has a bit of a past PR problem, um, and I always... I always think that it's important to ask people who actually work in these corporations, you know, what their um, what their experience is and what the culture is like and yeah. why you like being in Wells Fargo. You know, I think that's a great question. Um, to really kind of hit the nail on the head, yes, we had we had a problem. Mm -hmm. It was systemic, mm -hmm. and we've taken a lot of steps to change that. Mm -hmm. um, we've been one of the most one of the longest standing banks in the country. We've been around since 1852, mm -hmm. um, starting with the stagecoaches that are going across the nation delivering. I mean, we've been a, a staple of America for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So when it came down to it, we really just needed to make some changes at the corporate level and down mm -hmm. that really helped us move forward in a direction that was more beneficial to our communities. You know, part of our vision and values, so our big book that we put out every year. They have actually condensed it, but when I first started, there was this huge, like, 14-page book, <laughs> and I read it all, so yeah. I absolutely loved it, because I, I'm one of those, um, I have a certain morality and values that I hold, and mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I found a company that shared those. That's so important. It's so, it so is, because I couldn't work for somebody every mm -hmm. single day that didn't share the values that mm -hmm. I did. Um, and one of the things that we, that really stood out to me, mm -hmm. is that we want to out national the local banks, mm -hmm. but out local the national banks. We want to have that national bank presence mm -hmm. with that local community feel to where we can go and we mm -hmm. can be the pillar in the community that we need to be. And so, you know, I know we deal with corporations with values. Do you really feel like Wells Fargo lives the values that they say that they yeah. that they that I they think have. so. In the last couple of years we've we've um, we had a whole entire campaign that went down to the the newest employee that got hired two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. We all went through a realignment called Change for the Better. And it was really that. We actually sat down and made changes that are just gonna propel us forward into the community as more of a leader. I love it. Thank you for answering that question. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you cannot answer this one. Hard um, pass. No. Hard, it's totally fine. It happens. <laughs> so you can edit that out. So. <laughs> yep, it's all editable at this point. Perfect. Um, so before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Yeah, so I'd say LinkedIn. Um, Taylor Worthington. I am mm -hmm. Northern Colorado specific. We actually have an entire team in Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, so we have actually a healthcare specific business development office. Her name is Shauna. Mm -hmm. um, she is local to the Denver Metro. Mm -hmm. And then there's about uh, eight of us across uh, Colorado footprint. So we've mm -hmm. got one in Southern, one in Northern. And then and you then guys are also across the country too. Yeah, we have. Because this is a national podcast. So. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, yes, our business development team is national. Um, That's awesome. We started in the East Coast mm -hmm. and then the West Coast. And we've sort of moved in. So Colorado is kind of the farthest east we've worked from the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And right now we're kind of working our way from Virginia kind of in we have some oh, people wow. in Florida and Texas but we haven't really touched that Midwest market quite yet but our business development team will get there and um, we're here to answer your questions there's a lot of health care in that Midwest there's a ton so what would be the one piece of advice that you would give a startup practice um, either medical dental or veterinarian 
I would say surround yourself with people that are going to align with your values mm-hmm. and really figure out what those are. Figure out what those are. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think if you need to start with writing your mission statement and your value statement, mm-hmm. a lot of business owners know to do that because they've been through business school. Mm-hmm. A lot of veterinary and dental owners mm-hmm. don't because mm-hmm. they take one business class and they call it good. <laughs> I mean, it's just the, it's just the mm-hmm. way it is. They're focused on getting their degree and mm-hmm. they want to do that. So I would say focus on your values, figure mm-hmm. out what's important to you, mm-hmm. and then surround yourself with people that lift you up. Uh, whether that's a, a good banker, a good accountant, mm-hmm. a good lawyer, whatever, whoever Some you trust. staff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you have resources, not only inside, internal to your mm-hmm. business, but external to your business that can really help propel you forward. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah, thank you. It was awesome. <laughs> thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.